Well, I wasn't here last week. I was off somewhere. And I heard Stephen preached on faith last week. I didn't get a chance to hear his message. I'm sure it was very good. God has given me a message on faith. So today is part two, I guess, of... uh, So God's got something in mind if he's got two back-to-back messages on faith. And you know that faith is the currency of the kingdom. Everything works by faith. And we're going to be moving into um, the gifts of the Spirit and these things shortly. And that's how they operate as well. Everything is by faith in the kingdom. So let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you that you are such a loving and gracious God. You don't just talk about love, you actually are love. And so we're so thankful, Lord God, for your grace and mercy, your love and your power. Everything we have is a gift, O Lord, from you. And we thank you for your word that was inspired to godly men by the Spirit of the living God. And so we invite you, Spirit of God, to come and minister life to us today from the Word of God. Lord, that um, for some there'll be maybe some revelation in this. Lord, but just give something to each one of us. Change us, because your Word is quick and powerful that we're a little more like you when we leave than we were when we came in. And help us be prepared for what you have ahead of us, Lord God. In Jesus' name. <clears throat> Just before we get into the word, you guys heard about the preacher who was, uh, was going to preach on lying. Next Sunday, he was finished up a sermon, so he tells the congregation, he says, next Sunday I'm going to preach about lying or a liar, and in preparation for that, I would like request all of you to read Mark 17. So the next Sunday, by and by, the next Sunday came by, and he says, how many of you did as I requested and read Mark 17 in preparation for the message today? Oh, most all the hands went up. He says, you're the crowd I'm looking for. There's only 16 chapters in Mark. Oh, that didn't go over very good. (laughs) All right. Let's get serious. Let's look at some scriptures. I just call this the fellowship of faith. Um, Look at some scriptures that we already know and lay a foundation. Um, There is some revelation in here. I realize this is something that I learned some years back, and I, I don't think I've ever shared it with you. Um, Anyway, um, in Hebrews 11.6, it says this, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. See, God wants to reward you, and the way he does that is he honors your faith. Hallelujah. 
So why would God tell us that it's impossible to please him without faith? Why couldn't it be some other reason? Because faith is the currency of the kingdom. That's the exchange rate, so to speak. In America, we exchange dollars for things when we want it. In the kingdom of God, you exchange faith for something that you're trying to acquire. Hallelujah. So that's why he said you can't please him without faith. So then, uh, right away, how many of you know, believe that God is gracious? Amen? Anybody believe God is gracious? Amen. Amen. So Romans 12, 3. For I say to the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. First he says, you can't please me unless you have faith. You've got to have faith. It's the only way you're going to please me. Then grace gives us a measure of faith. It doesn't get any better than that. So you can't make faith. You can grow it, but you can't make it. It's a gift from God. Okay? So he gives us a measure of faith. That means he gave us a uh, measured portion, uh, a percentage, a limited portion. Now, when God gave us a measure of faith, you and I, he did that when we were born again. When he gave us that measure of faith, now we are stewards of that. So some of you might be better stewards than I am, and your faith might be way bigger than mine, way stronger. Depends on how we steward it, just like our finances. If we both have the same job and are making the same wages, and you're a good steward and I'm a bad steward, 20 years later you're going to be in a lot better shape than I am because I was a poor steward of that. And so uh, God gives us a limited portion, and I can't give you anything that's not mine. Okay, so when God gave you a measure of faith, he gave you a measure of his faith. Okay, not somebody else's, but his faith. So it doesn't get any better than that. You got a measure of God's faith to start with. And people argue about, well, this guy's called to do this, so he's got, he was given more faith to begin with than this guy over here who's just um, going to be a doorman in heaven. I don't think so. If God is just, he gives us all the same measure, amen? We all start out on the same level. And that's what stewardship is all about. Then it depends on how we steward it. You know, you all, all of you that are in here might be a better steward than I am of your faith. So you all might be way up here. It doesn't mean God loves me any less. It just means I haven't been as good steward of, of, of that faith. <clears throat> now, if you would... Please look at Luke 17. Luke 17, 3 to 5. Jesus is speaking. He says, Take heed of yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Hang on, we're going somewhere with this. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. The, the disciples said, E of A. And the apostles said to the Lord, 
increase our faith. See, forgiveness is one of the hardest things we do as Christians. It really shouldn't be that way, but that's the way it is. It's one of the hardest things we do. So they, the apostles said, you know, seven times, that's a complete number. In other words, God was saying, no matter how many times this guy sins to you, if he comes back and repents, you need to forgive him. And the apostles said, you know, they were just like we are. Why, hey, increase our faith, Lord, if we have to do this. We need more faith for this. So in verse 6 is the Lord's answer. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Hmm. That's his answer to them. They're asking for increased faith. He's talking about a mustard seed faith, which you can barely see in your hand. It's a very small seed. The mustard seed parable is not about being small. It's about growing into a, a large plant, and the birds are in it, and animals are under it for shade. So it's all about growth. But he's saying if you have a mustard seed, not a sanctuary full of it, just a mustard seed, you can do big things, okay? So the revelation is, it's not the strength of faith, but it's the length of faith, okay? If, I'll give you an illustration a little later as we get, as we get into this, but I'm going to repeat that uh, over several times during this message. It's not the strength of faith, but the length of faith. Now, we know that Jesus had authority from the Father, which now he's given to us. We know that he had very strong faith. You see, he didn't, he, it all goes back to relationship. He didn't do anything or say anything unless he saw the Father do it or heard him say to do it. So whenever he spoke to an infirmity in somebody, this is why he was so successful. He already knew the Father's will. He knew what he wanted to do. So he had no, absolutely no doubt, no unbelief. Just a little bit of doubt can cut the legs out from under very strong faith. So it's very important that we stay in faith. But Jesus is saying here to his disciples who ask for more, if you just have a little bit, you put it in the right place, so to speak, you're going to get the job done. Hallelujah. So that brings up some questions. If we've all been given a measure of faith, and we have, reading through the Bible, you'll find that uh, in one place, at least one place, he's talking to Christians, and he says that they had no faith. They were faithless. In another place, he's talking to his apostles, and he says that they had little faith. In another place, he's talking about a Gentile. And he said that this Gentile had great faith. So how can that be that if we have all been given a measure of faith, they would say somebody has no faith, somebody has just a little, and somebody has great. So let's unpack that and see what he's talking about, okay? Give us a better understanding of it. And we want to look at Matthew chapter 17. Uh, beginning at verse 14. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, and said, 
Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and a child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, there's a mustard seed again. You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So this was a tough one, a stubborn demon. And Jesus didn't take time to pray or fast. He just cast the demon out. So that tells me he was living a life of prayer and fasting already. Amen? Somebody say amen. amen. I got to know that somebody's agreeing with me out there. So he was leading that kind of a life already. So I asked God about this. Why could they not cast it out? If they have a mustard seed of faith and a mustard seed can move a mountain, why couldn't they not cast out this demon? And this was his response. The disciples couldn't cast out the demon of epilepsy, he said, by, because of their unbelief. And I asked them about that. He said they had more faith in the epileptic manifestation than they had in the word of God and his ability to accomplish it. So if you've ever seen somebody have one of these things, they're very traumatic. You know, they're, they're hard to watch. And a lot of times they hurt themselves um, in this kind of a thing. And when you're seeing that, that's right in front of you. It's like, whoa, you know, you can't see in the spirit usually, so you don't know what's going on there. But you can see this. And that's what we do as Christians a lot of times. We put our faith in what we see opposed to what the Word of God says. Like a guy told me one time, he says, people are going to believe what they're going to believe no matter what the Bible says. You know. <laughs> So, you know, that's kind of what happened here, um, is they put their faith, they had faith, but it was misplaced in the manifestation. See, if you put more faith in your problem than in the Word of God and God's ability to perform it, you know, your problem is just going to get bigger, amen? Wherever you put your faith, that's what's going to balloon, and that's what happens so many times in the body of Christ. We have more faith in what we see than we do in the problem. And then the problem just gets bigger and our faith gets smaller. And some people don't use their faith at all. They got saved and they got to measure faith and they don't use it because they don't think they have enough to accomplish anything. They're good people they just don't think they have enough to accomplish anything. Here he's saying a mustard seed will do big things. That's not to negate the principle of the mustard seed, which is growth. Our faith should always be growing. Your faith should grow today. Your faith should have grown last week. Amen? And so that's, that's not to negate that. But even if a faith is small, 
Don't think that you don't have enough because a mustard seed will move a mountain, a big thing. That's what that's saying. And, and we'll get to in, into detail of that a little more later. So he said they didn't have any faith because they put it, the faith that they had in the word of God when they started was misplaced into the problem when they saw this thing going on in front of them. All right. And in another place, right here in Matthew, let's go to Matthew 8. Um, Matthew eight twenty three. <clears throat> this is where Jesus was sleeping in the boat. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose, a big gale wind, on the sea, that the boat was covered with waves. But he was asleep. The disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? And he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Hmm. So Jesus said that they had little faith. Faith that looks, um, lacks confidence and trust is little faith. Now, I've seen one of these boats that it's talking about here. They found one when we were in Israel a couple of years ago. We were out on the Sea of Galilee, and, and there's a little museum there. And they found this boat. It was, it's about as long as this is across here from me to Dan, maybe 20 feet, maybe 18. And, it, and they petrified it. It was down in the sand. Some kids found it on the beach, buried. And, and it, they determined it was from the time of Jesus. And I must have spent a half an hour looking at that boat, taking pictures of it. I mean, it was all pieced together, you know. And then there was a sail in the middle of it. Now, that's not a very big boat. The Sea of Galilee is big. I mean, you get big waves out there. And if they had a big wind, that thing would be bobbing around like a cork. And I can see why the disciples were afraid. This is not some kind of a cruise liner. This is just a little boat, a little wooden boat with a sail in the middle for me to Dan, about that big. You know, and, and about just as far as you can reach in the middle. And it's all put together with pieces about four or five foot long. I don't know how they made that thing. But it's all held together now by iron pins and stuff. They've got it in this museum. And I just couldn't get over the fact that it is possible that Jesus was in that boat at one time. I just stood there and looked at it, took pictures, and I'm thinking, maybe not, but he could have been. It was from that era. He could have sat in that boat, and I'm like, I just couldn't get over that. Anyway, there's probably a better illustration, illustration in Matthew 14, uh, 27. Matthew 14, 27. You're very familiar with this. Jesus was walking on the water, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, they were afraid, they thought he was a ghost. Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come, one word from God. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, 
why did you doubt? So, he called that little faith as well. Um, Peter had faith to get started, but not to finish. And that's where a lot of the body of Christ is today. You know, we believe the word of God and we start out praying for something and a month goes by and we keep praying and two months go by. Now it's three months and the problem is still there. You know, when I had my torn meniscus a few years ago, I went overseas with it and hobbled around over there. Saw all kinds of God heal lots of people. I'm still hobbling around on it. And that was three months. And coming back on a plane, I'm whining and crying to him, you know, why can't I get healed, you know? What's the deal? Everything is in his timing, amen? But I didn't quit believing, fortunately. And I just woke up one morning and it was gone. They'd made an appointment for me. I told you this story at the surgeon to get it looked at you know they poke holes in your knee and go in there and fix it and it was already fixed so but it's 25 dollars if i don't keep the appointment so i decided it was worth that to go witness to them so i went in there and you know the story anyway he gave me my money back and the whole whole thing for my copay from a specialist no doubt so praise god so god can do all kinds of things. So faith, um, when it's misplaced, God called that no faith, or if you don't use it at all. In other words, you misplace it from the word of God into your problem. And that's very easy to do, especially if it drags on for a while. So uh, that's what he called no faith. Little faith is when you lose your focus. When you start out confident like Peter did, Trusting in the word of God and his power to perform it. And then you start looking around and nothing has changed. Here's the grace of God. And you got to give Peter some credit. I don't know how far Jesus was from the boat, but however far he was, he was almost to Jesus. Because Jesus just had to reach out and grab him. Amen. He almost made it. But he just let the bigness of the problem around him cut the legs out from under his faith. You know, he just had one word from God, come. And he walked on the water because he believed. Amazing. I've walked on water too, but it's been 35 below zero. And the ice has been two foot deep. A little bit different. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so that's what happens a lot of times is after time, uh, we lose our focus on the word because we don't get into it as much as we should or whatever reason. And, but the problem is always right there in front of us. And the problem seems to be bigger than the answer, than the promise. Hallelujah. So it's not so much the strength of faith, but the length of faith. You have to endure. We'll see a good scripture on that in a little bit. And he also talked about uh, a Gentile that had great faith. And that's found in Luke 7. Luke 7, 1 to 10. Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. 
And a certain uh, centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal the servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, because he was a Gentile. Not because he was a Gentile, but because he did these things. For he loves our nation, and he has built us a synagogue. When Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy for you to enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. To my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returned to the house and found the servant well, who had been sick. So he just spoke a word. He wasn't even there. Hallelujah. So God said this man had great faith. He was a centurion, a Gentile. And how is it that the Gentile had greater faith than the people of Israel who had the word of God? The centurion, according to Jesus, had great faith. He understood the authority that Jesus had. He was in the military. He understood authority. He recognized Jesus' authority. And he understood that Jesus had to have great faith to do the things that he'd done. He'd heard all about the stuff he was doing. Otherwise, he wouldn't have invited them. Remember, Jesus only did what he saw the Father do, as I said before. He only did what he heard the Father say. So that all comes back to our relationship with God. And so he either saw it, the Father showed him something of it, or he would speak to him. Therefore, he knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew the will of God. And when you pray the word of God, you're praying God's will. Look at 1 John 5. 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, if you're praying the word of God, you're praying his will. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we have asked him of him. How difficult is that? So don't pray the problem. We continually pray the problem. Pray the promise, not the problem. Pray the word of God, not the worry. Pray the answer, not the anxiety. Pray those things back to God. It'll make a difference. Hallelujah. Because if you're praying the word, you're praying God's will. Even if your faith is small, like the mustard seed, you're agreeing with God. I mean, you can't miss. You just have to keep on. You have to have what they call bulldog faith. 
A bulldog will not bite you six times. He will only bite you one time and just hold on and hold on and hold on no matter how much you try to get rid of him. And that's what we have to do. Take a bite out of our problem with faith and just hold on to the word and hold on to the word. You have to endure. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So no faith is when you don't use your measure at all and you're just a container or it's when you uh, misplace it in the problem. Little faith is when you start out good, you lose your focus and you don't finish. Grace faith is when you recognize the authority of Jesus Christ and the word of God and keep believing no matter what, no matter what you see. And that's hard to do. You know, if you've got a, a, a habilitating disease or something, uh, last week when I opened it up for prayer, the first two people that came up, uh, one of them with a walker had cancer. So I'm saying to God, where's the headache and, you know, <laughs> shoulder problems? The next one they brought up was a 17-year-old boy with, uh, uh, I want to say, it wasn't spinal bifida, it was uh, cerebral palsy in a wheelchair, 17 years old. Had a really good attitude. He's going to get, he's going to be out of that wheelchair. So, <clears throat> none of us want to be faithless. Amen? I mean, we don't want to be put into that category. Even though they had a measure of faith, Jesus called them faithless because they misplaced it from the Word of God into the problem. And so we don't want to be like that. So, how can we have greater faith because the centurion had great faith um, and he was a Gentile so we can have great faith. Amen? And, and there's things we can do but um, great faith isn't always the strongest faith. <laughs> I'll get to that in a minute. So let's look at a very uh, well-known scripture in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. I don't know, uh, Stephen might have used some of these last week. Preachers use this scripture all the time to define faith, and um, that's fine. But let me give you my opinion. This is my opinion. This isn't gospel. In my opinion, um, this scripture as much describes how faith works as it does define it. And I have a definition of faith here that I wish I could take credit for, uh, but I can't. And I can't remember where I got it years ago. Um, I can't remember who said it or if I read it somewhere. Oh, it's too long ago. But it's uh, one of the greatest descriptions of faith that I've ever heard. Faith is an established conviction of things you can't see and a subtle expectation in your heart of what you're believing for. Faith is an established conviction of things you can't see and a subtle expectation in your heart of what you're believing for. I think that's an excellent uh, description of faith. It says in this verse that it's substance. Substance is a standing under, uh, a support. Uh, 
you know, the chair you're sitting on um, supporting you. And that's what faith does. And this scripture is not uh, in your notes. I'm going to read it um, from Mark 11, 24. This is from the Amplified, so it's going to be a little louder. <laughs> for this reason, I am telling you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe, trust, and be confident that it is granted to you, and you will get it. So believe, trust, and be confident is present tense. So you believe when you pray for something, you believe you've got it when you pray. Amen. Amen. And then you're going to receive it, the Bible says. So in the meantime, faith supports you from when you originally pray that and believe it until you see the manifestation of it over here. That's the hard part, isn't it? That's where we need the support. That's why we need to keep going back to the Word of God all the time when we're in that situation. It's so important. So it's the substance. That's what holds you up. It also says that it's evidence. What is evidence? Evidence is proof. And one of the words to describe that is title deed. A title deed, what is that? A title deed is proof of ownership. Okay? And remember, God doesn't deal with this thing. He deals with your heart. So when he looks down in our heart, and he sees the title deed for whatever you're praying for, say you're, you have a bum shoulder and you're praying for healing. He looks in your heart and he sees the title deed in there. Proof of ownership. It's not if, it's when you're going to be healed. The timing is always up to him. But if you've got the proof of ownership in your heart, when he checks in there, it's a done deal. Amen? That's the proof he's looking for. That's the evidence. It's there. If it isn't there, you're going to have to pray some more. See, we have to put... Uh, I think faith will grow, but you have to nourish it. It comes out of your heart. That's what he deals with. And you, you feed it on this, just like you feed um, your body on steak and eggs. So you can't come and hear one of Stephen's, Stephen's good sermons on Sunday morning or anybody, any of these guys, and then expect to live on that all week. That ain't going to work. You're going to have to put in some more word during the week. Amen? Amen? And that's, you know, a lot of that happens in our devotional times and so on and so forth, our quiet times with the Lord. I've learned more in those times just listening. I never learned anything talking to them. Just listening. You know, if we pray for 10 minutes, we need to listen for at least 10 minutes. Amen? Amen. Well, so often we pray and we walk away and get, get into the busyness of whatever's going on that day. We don't give him a chance to say anything. He's probably saying it and we're missing it because we're busy doing other things. So it's all about that relationship thing. So there's substance there. There's evidence there. Um, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run 
with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And you're seated there in the spirit with him. Hallelujah. And that's what you need to pray for. When you pray, pray from a position of power where you're seated. So Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. That means he's the chief leader. He's the captain of it. He's the beginning of our substance to hold us up from the time we pray until we see the manifestation. Hallelujah. He says that he's the finisher. He's the completeness, the perfectness of it. The evidence Great faith is finishing faith. It's not so much the strength of faith, but the length of faith. It talks about in this scripture, you must run the race with endurance, the race set before us. And it's by faith and patience that we receive the promises of God. Amen? Not by faith alone or not by patience alone, but faith and patience. So we have to believe patiently, enduring through this whole timeline, whether it be uh, instantaneous or 10 years. And I prayed for my brother's salvation for 10 years. I only have one brother. There's only two of us for 10 years. But I'm agreeing with God that he'd become a whosoever believes in him would have everlasting life. I'm just agreeing with God. I'm praying the word. That's all I would pray was that. That's passage for 10 years. I got a call from somebody. He lived in Idaho at the time. And they had a big snowstorm. I mean, it was waist deep. And he was out shoveling snow. Maybe I told you this story. And an evangelist just lived two doors down from him. <laughs> Guy was set up by God. He moved out there from South Carolina because they closed the plant down. He was a big shot in some plant. And so he couldn't find a job anywhere out there, so he had to go out there. He was without work for a year. And he just came back from a revival in Canada. When you come back from these meetings, you're all pumped. And nobody, the whole town was shut down. Even Boise, Idaho was, was where he was. And that's even a big snow for out there. And so he saw him out there shoveling snow. So he, he, did, he put on his boots and hat and coat and grabbed his Bible, left the snow shovel at home. Went over to my brother and got him saved in the driveway. Where are you going to run with a slow waist deep? You can't go anywhere. And they'd, been, they'd shared with him a little bit across the fence, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, he was ready. And his wife called me two days later, 9 o'clock at night, and told me that he got saved. Told me this story I just told you. So I was pretty excited. <coughs> Hallelujah. Remember that mustard seed will move a mountain. But we don't want it to stay a mustard seed. The principle is that, that it would grow, okay? But if your faith is small, it's okay. You can still do great big things. So there are a few things we can do to, to uh, grow our faith, to strengthen our faith. One of them is to exercise your faith. In other words, to use it. Um, uh, you know, if you never use your faith, you're just going to be a container for it. And that, that's not a good thing. 
You don't want to be just a container. So you need to use your faith and, and use it at the level that you're at. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're way, way strong faith or just a little faith. You know, you have to believe for a pair of shoes before you can believe for a suit, okay? It's that kind of a thing. Start small, and when you receive what you're praying for, you're going to be all excited, and it'll build your faith for the next thing. And pretty soon you got a suit, and the next thing you know, you got a wardrobe. The next thing you know, you got a house to put the wardrobe in, etc., etc. It goes like that. So it'll just keep growing. So exercise your faith. Um, you know, you have to have it. He looks at the heart. So you have to put, uh, you have to put the word in there. And that brings into consideration the meditation. Meditation, you know, you just got to hang around with Jesus a lot. Um, you know, it's putting the word in there, but it's also just hanging around with Jesus. Because when you're hanging around with him all day and you're just talking to him, you know, he, you can learn stuff while you're doing other things. You just have to be available. Um, be sensitive to the spirit of God. Um, as you put that word in there, because God always deals with the heart. He looks in there and he sees a proof of ownership. Bang. And then we all know Romans 10, 17 so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you're hearing the word of God this morning, so your faith should be growing. Amen? Pretty feeble, amen. Your faith should be growing. Amen? amen. <laughs> yeah. It's present tense. So you can't live tomorrow on the faith that you've got today. You have to continually strengthen and continually nourish your faith. Okay, you feed your spirit on the word of God. And that's where mountain moving faith is. It's in here. Down in there. Hallelujah. <clears throat> An exercise, as I mentioned before, like, say, my friend Stephen and I, we go to the gym. I've used this illustration before. And Stephen's runs two miles. And then he gets done with that, he takes a little break, then he goes in a weight room and works out for an hour. And the whole time I'm in a lunchroom eating potato chips, Snicker bars, and drinking Coke. Who do you think is going to get stronger? Yeah, Stephen's going to get stronger. I'm just going to get fatter. Amen? So you have to exercise your faith. You can't just walk around with it and keep it like in a container. You have to use it. And a lot of people don't use their faith because they don't think they have enough. And that's what the revelation is all about. One revelation today. It's not the strength of faith. It's the length of faith. Even the mustard seed will do a big thing if you just endure. If you just endure. If you just stick with it. Stay focused. Don't lose your focus like Peter did. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so I want to share one more thing with you in closing. Oh, this is a whole other message, but I need to touch on it here. Um, I'm going to read again, Mark 11. I'm going to read verse 23 this time. Again, this is going to be a little louder. Truly I tell you, whoever says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt at all in his heart, but believes that what he says will take place, it will be done for him.
So it is possible to have what you say if you do it God's way. Now, there's been an awful lot of misuses in this. People have, you know, blabbed all kinds of things out there. <laughs> and a lot of good Christians are going around and making, they know what the right confession is. And they'll go around and they're making that confession, but there's um, no title deed in their heart. They're just making the confession out of the word that they know what to say. And that won't get it with God. He knows all things. He knows all about you. And you can't fool him. You can fool me, but you can't fool him. And so, you know, we have to take time to put that in there um, through hanging out with Jesus, meditation, and, and, and being in the Word on a daily basis. Hallelujah. Well, the things you say are important because you are somebody. You are the king's kid. You are royalty. You're not just, you know, somebody that's here that has no purpose. And God has a purpose and a plan for each one of us. And you're important to him because you're his child. I mean, he adopted you and grafted you in and gave you an inheritance, the inheritance that Jesus has. I mean, we're joint heirs with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It doesn't get any better than that. Come on. So what you say is important. You know, they say something, one of those British guys over there, um, princes, they, it's all in the paper, you know, it's because they said it. It might be some dumb thing, but they put it in the paper anyway because the prince said it. And so we have to be careful on what we say. Because we say, if we're saying the wrong things all the time, you know, eventually we're going to be living that because what we say is important. I'll show you why. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. <clears throat> Hebrews two seventeen says, Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is the high priest of your confession the things that you say. See, as apostle, he's God's representative to us. But as high priest, he's our representative to God. Amen? He's, he's our advocate. He's in between. And so I can't give him some kind of mamby-pamsy confession to take to the Father. He's looking for not the problem Warren's problem, he's looking for the promise that deals with Warren's problem. So if I pray the promise back to my high priest, he's got something to take before the Father and agree with me with it. Amen? Amen. Opposed to some other, other things. So a confession given out of a heart of faith where, there's, where the title deed is, where there's proof of ownership, an agreement with the word cannot fail.
I mean, it just cannot fail. You just have to hang in there. It's never going to be in your timing, probably. I shouldn't say never. Most of the things for me are never in my timing. They're always in God's. My torn meniscus, I wish that would have been healed three months before it was. It took three months. Sometimes it's just a test to see if we're, if we're going to be faithful, to see it's the length of faith, not necessarily the strength of faith. A good illustration would be this. Say someone has faith the size of my fist here, and I have faith the size of the end of my finger down here. So we both start out with confidence in the Word of God. We're believing God, hallelujah, praise God. And now uh, years went by and we got to this point and the strong faith is starting to come apart because the problem is looking much bigger now and, you know, I just don't know if that's going to happen, the guy that's got the strong faith. But I continue to endure with my little faith, continue to believe God, over here is the manifestation of it. So which faith was greater? The strong one that fell apart and, and got into the problem halfway through or the little faith that continued to endure all the way to the manifestation. So sometimes the strongest faith is not the greatest faith, is what he's saying, okay? Like the, 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 the lesson here is to endure, to keep believing the word of God. You know it's true. You know God's got the power to perform it. Just keep believing him. And we're in the presence of God a lot more than we think. Because every time we pray, I said it when we were, we, every time we pray, we come into his presence. Amen? If we're praying his will. And every time we come in here to worship, or any time we worship, he comes into our presence. So there's two times that we're in his presence right there. And a lot of times during the day, you're walking around, you're singing praise songs and all that. Where do you think God is? Right there. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He's always with you all the time. So we said faith was the currency of the kingdom. I'm closing now. Aren't you glad? The currency of the kingdom, that means it's the exchange rate for what we get in the kingdom. <laughs> faith exchanges sin for righteousness. It exchanges addiction for deliverance. Worship team can come. It exchanges brokenness for wholeness. It exchanges poverty for wealth. And it will exchange sickness for health. It will. I mean, it's been proven by different people all around the world. And I think, you know, people will ask me, how long do I pray? You know, how, much, how, how long do I pray, Brother Warren? And I tell them, push. Pray until something happens. That's not an original for me either. I got that somewhere. Pray until something happens. Now, God told Jeremiah to quit praying for Jerusalem. He might tell you to quit praying for someone, but it's unlikely. I did that one time. A guy I used to run around with before I was saved. I prayed for him for a year and a half after I came to Bible school. And I had all this big list of stuff, and I, ah, this guy's never going to get saved. I'm just, I just took him off my list. And he's a friend of mine. Think about that. 
you might, might, might not want to be my friend. <laughs> and I heard he got saved. And the next time I went to Wisconsin, I called him up and he was working third shift where I used to work. And I met him at this restaurant. And we parked about as far as the sanctuary is wide. And he was standing by his car and I got out of the car. And I took one look at him and I could tell he was saved, man. And we ran toward each other because we were both bad rabbits. And we cried like babies, both of us. We embraced and just stood there and cried in the parking lot. Couldn't say anything, neither one of us, because we were not nice guys. And so even when you're unfaithful, amen, God is faithful. And he saved him anyway. There's probably a lot of people praying for him, hopefully. And uh, even though I was unfaithful. So what is God up to having two messages back to back on faith? I think he's preparing us for um, the series on the gifts of the Spirit that are coming up because they work by faith as well. And you have to overcome, <clears throat> excuse me, you have to overcome the fear. Exchange your fear for faith. Just believe God. If you have a gift that you're particularly interested in, it's a desire of your heart, pray that back to God. I would like to be used in this gift. And, 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 you know, spend some time putting faith into, in, into your heart and see what God does. Because there are so many gifts here um, that are, they need to be used in the body of Christ more. Because they're not for you, they're to bless everybody else. Amen? And that's what he's looking for. When we come corporately, we come into the fullness of him. Amen? So let's worship our God.